Roxo Media House. Welcome back to Fortitude, folks. We already got a dance. We already got a dancer in the house. <laughs> Welcome back, Brenton. You are Brenton. I am falsetto. JW. Fortitude <laughs> FW coming at you, season two. Uh, welcome to the Captech Studio. You obviously taking taking a fancy to it, sir. But we have in the house, uh, in the, in the, in the Captech Studio, Mister Doc, Doctor, excuse Doctor J Max. Don't you dare call me Mister. Indeed, indeed. After everything respect, I've been through, respect, respect. Yeah. Welcome, J Mac. We've known you a while. Yeah. You're a hell of a guy. You're a Fort Worthy, and you got an incredible story, which we're going to delve into now. Cool. So, cool. Grateful for your time. No energy here, man. Yes. None Jeez whatsoever. Please. Is it all? It's all natural. I know because I know you. But what gives you all this fire all the time? Methamphetamines. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Uh, no, man. I don't know. I just I have a ton of energy, and people are like, "When do you rest? You're involved in so many things, and you know, I honestly don't rest too much, but I rest different parts of my brain. There are times when I'm just like fully active." Activated in doctor mode and then I switch from that to being just fully activated in nonprofit mode and then fully activated mm -hmm. in social media fully activated and being dad and I just like I pour myself into these different things and it like feeds my energy in every other realm if that makes sense you are is a it, lover of life no doubt I am is I'm it healthy or does it ever get unhealthy where you're like honey too much energy is going to here not enough to here <laughs> kind of thing like, oh definitely yeah because yeah. i get i get very hyper focused and so yeah. yeah sometimes my wife needs to redirect me and Excellent. be like i love how passionate you are about these different projects but remember me like you need to focus on i'm like you're so right honey yeah. let's go to the bahamas yeah <laughs> well we'll get into rebecca here shortly yeah. but you began singing around the age of three yeah this is in fort worth correct yeah totally so you have your, your parents and your your immediate family discovered this this kid is not like other kids he's got a musical gift uh, -huh. uh you can you and the way that i know you is you can walk into a room now if there were a guitar or a piano sitting around and just complete strangers you're the kind of guy brenton that could sit down and just start singing and playing everybody's like yeah well, this guy's pretty good who well, is this guy oh, it's he awesome. came by that kind of naturally right like didn't your was your mom have that she was sound yeah. or did something yeah, well with music? both of my parents really so my my mom was approached music from a very intellectual background and mm -hmm. um she went to indiana university um for uh you know to get a major in music and at the time that was one of the best places that you could go to in the country um and my dad was just completely self-taught just like passionate yeah. songwriter and was you know playing in bars and stuff like that and so um, my dad's kind of like passion and like aimlessness in life was kind of reeled in by my mom's like kind of more intellectual and like structured right. thing. And so it only made sense that as we were growing up around all of this music, my mom became kind of the manager of the band. It was like, yeah. you're going to wear these matching outfits. I have two older sisters that sing and like dance and play instruments. And right. my dad sings and plays. Here's the funny thing about my mom, though. She has terrible stage fright. So she wanted to be like behind the sound console mm -hmm. in yeah. the audience, but she was the brains of the whole operation. Oh, yeah. And then my dad was the performer up there who was just like, wherever, wherever you put me, I'm going to play. I'm cool with it. You know, oh, right on. So you performed as a kid growing up. You did Casa. You attended Country Day School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were a very big uh, figure in Casa Manana. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sound of Music, the Who's Tommy. Yeah, yeah. These are some of the few. There's, I'm sure there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, when you were 15, you auditioned for a boy band uh, put together by 
Kid Craddock's morning show, correct? Yeah, Can you walk us, walk us through that? Yeah, well, rest in peace indeed. So. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, it was just another audition. It was a, a family friend who was like, hey, I heard about this thing on the radio. You should audition for it. J-Mac could be perfect for it. And uh, and I show up to uh, like Valley View Mall in Dallas, you yeah. know, and there are a ton of radio fans there. And they announce me on stage. And I'll never forget it, man, because, you know, there are a lot of people that are auditioning that are like 18 and 20 and 23 and all this stuff. And then Kelly Raspberry from the radio show goes, every boy band needs a baby. And they invited me to come up on stage and people were like, ah, already. Yeah. And I was like, I could get used to this. How so old were you at the time? I was supposed to be 16, but I lied. I was 15. Oh, wow. I made up, I made so, up a fake birthday. Instead of like actually just pushing back my birthday by one year and making me a year. I made up some fake birthday. And so I'd always like forget it and call my mom and be like, what's my birthday? What's my sign? They asked me for some magazine. What's my sign? You know, like an idiot. Was this like the, uh, this past the new edition? Was this like boys or what was it called? New kids on the block. Or this the was, block. We're all so was, old. We know about yeah, all these there boy was, bands, right? There were later boy bands. Yeah, so what it was, was right what when, kind of genre was it? Or right era? when like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were blowing up. Okay. It was very okay. clear that like there was a formula there. And so other people were falling in you line. You were like Joey or whatever, man. Like the, so, yeah, yeah. All, they all had that little one yeah, for sure. Exactly. The, ba yeah, the yeah, band the in question, Sons of Harmony. Sons of Harmony. It sounds like a gospel group. Like who named that? And if you look it up, you can find. You can find. Like you could Sons find a <laughs> Sons oh, of Anarchy. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Boy band. Yeah. If you look up Sons of Harmony, you find yourself in the band, but yeah. you also find a Christian group that goes under the same it. moniker and I does Christian music as That's well. That's where so. it belongs. That name belongs in, in that world. So how big was Sons of Harmony? Because you opened up for Bon Jovi, yeah. Beyonce, yeah. Best New Child. So yeah. how big did you get and how, what kind of stuff did you see? Um, you know, that? we are very, because we were created on a radio show, they literally had the audience vote on who was going to be in the band and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I was invited to be in the band, you know, but um, our very first show, 4,000 people were there. First show we've ever played. We're so nervous. No we're in like matching red jumpsuits. Right on. <laughs> and we're dancing on stage and yeah. stuff and 4,000 people are there. And so it went from there to playing, you know, Dallas Main Street for Y2Ks, right. um, you know, New Year's Eve and 75,000 people are there. Granted, they didn't all come for us, yeah. but 75,000 people were there that we got to perform in front of. And then I, the biggest like normal audiences that we performed in front of were when we were touring with Destiny's Child and we were performing regularly in front of like 20, 20,000, something like that. That's and cool. it's just, I mean, it's an energy that you can't get anywhere else. Big, it's the big auditoriums, thing. big yeah. stages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're all across the country, yeah. international. Um, it was mostly mostly throughout the Southwest, Southwest area. Okay. Yeah, very good. They kind of picked us up. There was another boy band called like BB Mac of all things. Yeah, and some of the guys got sick from that, and we had opened up for Destiny Child before, and so we got a call. And it was like, your turn, step up. And we were like, yeah, this is a train. Oh, you know? That's great. We got to, did like, you guys get to know them? Day. Yeah, did you get to? I kind mean, of, sort of, not I really. wouldn't say we got to like know them. We got to yeah. hang out with them multiple yeah. times. And yeah. We would be so excited to hang out with them. We'd be like, let's sing for you guys. They'd be like, okay. And we'd sing for them. And they'd get yeah. real into it yeah. and get excited and, and ask for different like, things. And they'd be like, see ya. Yeah, and they'd be like, no, leave. We're tired. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're getting on our bus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about Beyonce? Any time with her ever as a yeah, kid? Yeah, for sure, for how, sure. How, what was that like back then? She was so cool. She was always so kind and humble and cool. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are just people that you meet 
in in the world of entertainment where you're just like, man, I'm I am glad that you are in the position that you are in because you're a role model for everyone else in the world of entertainment. She was one of those people. Were Very they cool. all out of Houston? Like, did they all come out of Houston? That same church? They or whatever, initially did. Did. I don't know if because they they ended up like adding and then removing multiple people along the way. I don't yeah. know if all those people ended up from Houston, but the core original group, yeah, came yeah. from Houston. The band lasted only but a few years. Two thousand one, you guys break up, correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. What caused the breakup? And well, it was me. It was me because the, you know, like the there was a wave. You know, like we were riding a wave of already successful boy bands. Right. They had already been out for years before us, way ahead of us in the game. And to be real, I mean better than us i you know i i think that we were great you know but like it's hard to compete with somebody like yeah. nsync they were just like i mean backstreet boys is good but like to me the level of like talent and like performance ship that mm-hmm. nsync had was like yeah. totally totally amazing but i kind of i just knew that and we could feel that the wave was starting to kind of like sure you know uh, whatever peter out i guess you could say and uh and i was getting some offers from you know, my solo music, because I had been playing guitar and writing songs for years, and people were like, you should do this, you know? And I was like, yeah, I should do that. Because for me, it was a dream to perform on stage in front of that many people, but then I'd get off stage and be like, but it's not my music. Yeah. Somebody else is writing it. I'm dancing around on stage. I don't want to be dancing around on stage. Like, I did it, but that's not my thing, man. Biggest hit you guys had? Um, we had? We had one. It was, I would give you everything in my heart that I have. Love you more than anything in this world. Keep going. I can't tell that apart from Baby, any other boy band song. Keep going. I wouldn't do. <laughs> Excellent. If you were my girl. <laughs> yep, I remember it well. That's well done. You don't have to say that. No, I do. I do, do remember. You remember? That. Oh yes. We got some spins on the radio. I, I knew a few people that liked that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I might have been they one of them. They played it at the mall, man. <laughs> I remember ice skating to that at the oh, yeah, gallery. Yeah, nice, yeah. Nice. So J Mac, J Mac, during that time, or is it after that time you were you started acting side of your life? Is that's always been in the Cosmion, but you, right. you, were, you were doing that after the band broke up, then you started doing shows like Like Family, and then other yeah. movies came along, right? Yeah, it was cool, man. It was honestly, it was like a Hollywood dream. I was performing out my own music, which that was really the dream, was for me to be performing my music in front of 20,000 people and stuff like that. And it never got to that place, but you know, I did get some really cool opportunities along the way that in my mind were going to support that dream. And, uh, and I ended up um, an agent at like one of the top three agencies in the world saw me performing and she was like, you should be an actor. And I was like, yeah, if it's going to help my music career, let's go. You oh, know? yeah. Do they say that? Do they kind of recommend that? Like they, they did. Like, because now you have like a lot of people who are actors, then they go to the music thing mm-hmm. uh, much more than you see like musicians gone actors. Yeah. I mean, I think it all kind of like feeds, feeds into the same like promotion machine, you know, yeah. you're just getting exposure and getting out there as long as they're the right kind of projects. You right, know? right, if right. If yeah. you're trying to be like a, a really like dark and legitimate um, you like know, Greg Allman plays a good bad guy, man, all the time. Yeah, you know, like that's really cool. But yeah, then, yeah. you know, if you're playing like teen bop TV shows or something like that, <laughs> yeah. and then you got like some like kind of dark hardcore band that doesn't go hand in hand. Yeah, but it's, they so really it can promote each other. And it doesn't take you into a cast in a sitcom called Like Family. Yeah, that well yeah. If you're playing that dark that dark yeah exactly exactly it was a goofy show it was a really fun show man it was like the premise of fresh Benson bel-air but it was white kid and his mom moving with a black family and that was kind of pushing the envelope at the time modern family hadn't come out yet and stuff like that so we were kind of doing something and what was really cool about the show is that it didn't like overtly focus on the race thing you know it was just kind Mm -hmm. of a thing and um and it just it, it focused on kind of um the beauty and support of family and honestly working on a sitcom 
was one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. Really? And if that show went on forever, I would have stayed on that show forever. Oh, wow. seriously? It was a blast, dude. Out Every in day, California, dude, out in LA? Mm -hmm, yeah, we, we actually filmed on Universal Studios a lot. Yeah. And then literally like right next to us, there were some fences that we would jump to go into Universal Studios, the theme park. And so the little 13-year-old boy on the show and I would jump the fence and go ride a ride and come back and film. Oh, oh no wow. kidding. It was a dream, But dude. it was, it was like best. down the hill, right? Like when you take the exactly. big escalators like down in that area. You're of Universal exactly right. Park. It's amazing yeah. that you actually know well, that. Well, we just went to the Universal Studios. I just kind of remember <laughs> like, this is a really long escalator, and I guess that down in that area is where yep. I'm guessing that exactly fence has been fixed substantially. Uh, Maybe risen. not. I yes. stuck into the like family <laughs> set and played a kid actor yeah. for a while. He yeah. guest starred on my show yes. on accident. And then you got the big, you got the call up to the big leagues. You, yeah. get, you get cast in a, in a little movie called Fat Albert. Yeah, with Keenan yes. Thompson, man. Keenan yeah. so Thompson. Cool. And you know, I talked about earlier how like Beyonce was one of those people that just like kind of inspires others to right. be like the best version of your yourself mm -hmm. despite your success mm -hmm. that was keenan man it was like 110 degrees outside shooting in the valley north of la right. he's got a fat suit on everybody else is complaining about how hot it was and he was like guys do you know how lucky we are yeah. to be here right now and you're like you're right keenan mm -hmm. you're right i, I know somebody who does that Who's he's that? just always happy like that this guy? Who are you talking yeah. about? This oh. guy. Have you noticed that? I do. I like that about him. Yeah. Speaking of hot, it is kind of hot in here all of a sudden. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So uh, Fat Albert does really well. Uh, you are you are you play uh, the the white kid in the show, which is yeah. interesting because but you just mentioned that I'm just always the token white the guy. Token that was like my guy. niche yep. in L.A. Right. That's right. good. <laughs> so how many different things do you do until you reach the pinnacle where there's another thing coming in your life that yeah. we're talking about, led you to be, to wear this uniform? So really, what happened is that I I did the TV show, I did the movie, I did some other guest spots on TV shows, but I signed, which I don't even know if this exists now. This was like during the golden era of Hollywood, but they just like had so much money they would throw contracts at people to not work for other networks oh, really? so warner brothers paid me to not do other tv shows and i was like okay who struck that was your mom your manager like did she <laughs> like get that i wish man we could have kept that in the family no yeah. no it was, it was like a big time la agency and they yeah. they took their cut don't you worry oh yeah but they negotiated this big you know six-figure contract for me as like a 19 year old to not work for any other oh, network wow. and the idea was though that they were going to find me a job on their network mm -hmm. and they didn't so i ended up sitting around getting paid for nothing everybody my age was like dream job but for yeah. me i you can see i got a lot of energy i want to put it into something i want to like better myself every day and man i kind of sat on my hands for eight months and no i was miserable mm -hmm. i was miserable and i was distracting myself from that misery by lifting weights by skateboarding by surfing by doing all of these physical things and writing as much music as i could and then i broke my hand skateboarding and uh took all of that physical distraction away and it was like look at your life son and i had a total quarter life crisis how old how old, yeah were you like 25 <laughs> or 20 something? i was 20 no kidding yeah quarter life crisis at 20 but i guess i'd done a lot of living before then you know so yeah it was like i hit it a little bit but early. then was it like all right time to pack up la is over yep. like i knew it yeah i knew it honestly i i was on the phone with my mom and uh and I, she she just told me man like she could just hear it in my voice mm -hmm. how sad i was mm -hmm. and and I just ended up crying on the phone in a ball on the floor. And she goes, it's okay to come home, son. Yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah. That was powerful. That's yeah. what I needed to hear. That's yeah. what I needed to hear. But yeah. I was like, but if I'm coming home, what am I going to do? Because my mm -hmm. whole life was this like uphill journey. Like I'm fighting for mm -hmm. this thing. There's this, there's this like end goal. And like, how can I just have this mountain to climb my whole life and then have no mountain? You know, it was yeah. like, it was too depressing to think about that. 
And I, I honestly kept hearing all these cool stories from my sister who worked in an ER. And she's tell, told me all these amazing stories of life and death and like deep connections with other people. And, uh, and doctors like jumping on the ground to stop like crazy bleeding from this like stab wound in the neck and all this stuff. And I was like, I think I want to like live that. Yeah. I think I want to like live those stories, but how the hell do I get there? And that was the mountain. And I was like, I never saw myself honestly graduating from high school. I wanted to get my GED and be done. Unfortunately, <laughs> my mom mm -hmm. was like, you're taking the SAT and you're yeah. graduating yeah, yeah. from your private school that we spent all this money for in country day. And thank God it did. But it, that was my mountain, man. And so I, I decided to go into medicine. And Whoop. that was like before any of those shows, ER and stuff. Where were those fitting in? Were you, you weren't yeah. looking at those as like, Not you were really all. just listening to your sister's real life my sister, deal, yeah. right? Like, I, never, yeah. I never watched any of those shows and I still really haven't watched any of those yeah. shows. People always ask me like, how much of those shows do you watch? I'm yeah. like, I don't know, man. I get enough medicine from every single sure. day. I want to experience other things. Mm -hmm. Where do we attend medical school? So I went to UT Southwestern okay. in Dallas. Yeah, it's just not the best one or anything. So <laughs> good on you. Yeah, It was a really great school. It was a very yeah. competitive med school as well, which is great because I think it made me a better doctor because, you know, I don't want to brag, but I like I felt I felt like I was a rock star going through TCU and taking all my pre-med classes. I felt real good taking all those tests and everything. And then, man, I went to UT Southwestern. I was not the smartest kid there. And it was it was humbling. Um, but it was it was it drove me to to be a, a better student and to be a better doctor. Tell well, us some of the difficulties with med school that you you, you just mentioned. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was very difficult at first to to be taking these tests, and it was very apparent like where you were, you know, uh, on on the kind of bell curve. And I was not at the top anymore, and I didn't I didn't do bad by any means, but I was like kind of running with the pack for the first time in my life. And I don't mean to say can be conceited with that, but I was running with the pack, man. And it, I was you know eating eating some humble pie there, but it it drove me to to study harder and do better, and I ended up doing very very well actually in the long run. But at first, I got a kick in the tail big time. Well, you were coming from being the star out in LA, man. <laughs> like, I mean, that's not that far yeah. of a, like, that's pretty understandable. Yeah. Was that whole, you think that whole acting thing helped you in that regard or, or hurt you, I set think you back? I, I, I don't think it helped me academically necessarily. I mean, there was a ton of memorizing that I was, I was doing, especially yeah. when I was on the TV show. Cause they literally, I'd wake up in the morning, there'd be a brand new script on my doorstep and I'd have to memorize it and we'd be shooting it at like 3 PM, you know? Right. So it was like, there's a lot of very important quick memorization that you had to do. And then you'd have to execute on the spot. And there was a lot of that in med school and everything, but there was a lot of just like remembering how to be a student again and everything. And I yeah. That through TC where I did undergrad as well, but med school was tough, man. But it made me grow a lot. And where I really started to shine in med school was when I was in person. I wasn't just like a kid at a desk with a number two pencil, you know, back in the day when you'd actually like fill out, you know, scantrons and stuff. Like that. I'm sure it's yeah. all computerized now. Right. But uh, but you know, I'd go into the hospitals and it'd be all about like how how well are you connecting with patients? How well are you coming up with plans for your patients? How well are you connecting with the team and supporting your medical team as a whole. And I was really good at that stuff. And nice. so that's when I started really separating myself from the pack and being extremely successful again in, in, in my heart and my mind. So you graduate, you residency, you get your first job and yeah. where's the first job? Yeah. So I, um, I, I do after, uh, med school, I do residency at UT Southwestern Parkland. It's the biggest single site, right. um, volume emergency department in the country. See the craziest of the crazy things from traumas to tumors that people from Mexico have ignored for five years and they come up and it's like this mad massive thing growing out of their face. And they're like, I was told to keep driving North until I saw 
um, La Bola en el Cielo, which is like the ball in the sky. You think about the Dallas, Dallas skyline, right? Yeah. And so literally people would drive up from Mexico to get care at Parkland. And so I was just saw and experienced some incredible stuff there. And then I started working um, with a company called EMC. It's a staffing company for emergency rooms, mostly uh, Texas Health ERs, which right. like I love Texas Health and I love my doctor group. So like big props to THR and to EMC of Team Health. They just recently got bought out. Because um, my job rocks, and I'm super fortunate. Where do you to currently? To do where do you currently uh, work? I'm mostly at Texas Health Southwest here okay. in Fort Worth, uh -huh. and Texas Health Alliance a little bit north of Fort Worth. Oh yeah. The typical day for you, J Mac, at the at the ER. Well, the typical day changes so much because sometimes I'm a 6 a.m. shift, sometimes I'm an 11 a.m. shift, sometimes at 3 p.m., sometimes at 8 p.m., sometimes I show up to work at 11 p.m. Like I put my kids to bed. I've like already watched some stuff on Netflix and then I'm going into because work. Because of being on call or just because they need you kind no, of No, because that's how an ER schedule is. Every ER doctor works different shifts pretty much. Unless mm -hmm. like you just love being the night guy, which like nobody loves being the night yeah. guy. You kind of like spread the pain a little bit, you know? And yeah. so sometimes you're the morning guy, sometimes you're the afternoon, sometimes you're evening, sometimes you're overnight. And we do a little bit of each of those every single month. And, uh, but it's cool though, because the ER has a totally different vibe at 2 a.m. than it does, yeah, it does. at like 10 a.m. than it does at like 6 p.m., you know? Fair to say you've saved lives, you've lost yeah, lives, yeah. you've seen probably everything in between. Yeah. Um, all these experiences uh -huh. led you to a little thing called TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is one of the things that's really cool about you. You are a very, uh, very big advocate of sharing experiences. Yeah. Heartful stuff, yeah. uh, absurd stuff, yeah. real life stuff yeah. through your through your posts. Currently, I see you have four hundred and twenty two thousand followers on TikTok. Nothing. Well done. That's Hello. nothing. Uh, hey. I got boy bands with yes. more than that. <laughs> yes, we have four. I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, awesome, period. Man. Like that, that's not four thousand or he's oh, not. Yeah, yeah. It's not four K. You know. <laughs> you, you deal with thing. These are some of the things that I that I just grabbed mm. from watching. I've seen a whole bunch of them, but cool, you you discussed uh, how Robin Williams really died, which I thought was was really right. neat. Events inside the ER, medical questions that people have always wondered, suicide, substance mm -hmm. abuse. So what, what, how does this all work for you and your brain? And, how do you, and what made you do this thing? Man, a lot of things are inspired by real world experiences, whether they're inside the ER or they're outside of the ER. Things that, you know, heartbreaking diagnoses that I've, uh, that I've given people, things that I can just tell. I keep getting asked a question over and over, whether it's online or in person. I'm like, people want to know this. Yeah. And so, and I can give a really unique perspective on it because not only do I know the answer, I have seen that answer in human beings for almost 10 years in the emergency department, which is crazy to think of because somewhere inside of me, I'm still that kid. You know, like when you're of age, and you're showing your ID to the person at the liquor store or the grocery store or whatever to buy alcohol. So proud. A little, yeah, you're proud. But also a little piece inside you is like, like, like you're a little nervous still, you know, yeah. like even to this day, I'm 38 yeah. years old yeah. and I'm still like, play cool, play yeah. cool slaughter. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that, that, that person that's like so excited and feels very lucky to be there is still totally there in my shifts every day. And so I can see it from that perspective and it's even enhanced that perspective through my videos on TikTok and, and on Instagram. Um, because I'm trying to break things down in a very simple way to where people can experience it, whether they're in the medical field or whether they're not in the medical field. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. How would you how would you describe to somebody like us, the layperson? And if you can't, I understand, but something tells me you probably can. But <laughs> how would you describe the, what the, what death is like to see it all the time? How, do, how does it feel in your mind to people who don't really understand what that means, what it looks like? Is the the hardest it? thing about experiencing death on a daily basis is keeping your emotions. Yeah. You talk you talk to people we called it the thousand patient stare 
because, you know, you, you've heard like the thousand yard stare that soldiers get in their eyes mm -hmm. and you start residency as an emergency doctor and you, you're bright eyed and bushy tailed and you're excited to go to work. And then you see the third year residents and there is a different look in their eyes. They've seen so much mm -hmm. death. They've seen so much suffering And my attending. And I talked about it because some patients would be like, why can't you understand my pain? And I heard, I overheard him say to her, if I felt all of my patient's pain every single day, I would have killed myself a long time yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. And that's a really intense thing to say, but it's true. When you're a truly empathic human being, the ER is a very brutal, numbing environment. And it did that to me. I, you know where I had a similar experience on a little lighter level? Oh, yeah. When we worked in the baby's RS, man, before <laughs> we had a kid. And you see those parents who do have the, the kid exact same who have the kid in the buggy and you're like, are they zombies, man? Like, what is uh, wrong with those people? Those people are so washed yeah. out looking with that kid. We're all like fresh. Like, let's go yeah. do the shopping it's list. It's different. But when it's you're probably, in the trenches. Yeah. You know? It's different. Yeah. yeah that's, that's like the thousand day of having a newborn yeah, stare. Yes. Like the thousand day stare. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but for sure. But it was, but just to answer your question, yep. the, the most important thing just to any medical providers that are listening or, or watching to watching this right now is 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 keeping your emotions open i think you know and it and i i lost my emotions for a long time i was so burnt out from all of these overnights and weekends and suffering that i experienced but I, through honestly through a lot of these videos and through really opening up to my friends and my family about the traumatic experiences that i've had i've regained my emotions and it's a beautiful thing because if you don't if you know people it's almost like a merit badge that you can you know create this like wall in between you and suffering and yeah. i thought that was was cool when I first yeah. started emergency yep. and like, but that wall will, will be present outside of the hospital too. Mm -hmm. It's only a matter of time. Not only that you're not connecting with your patients with patients don't want that. The patients mm -hmm. want you to be there with them in that moment. And with the gravity of those diagnoses and those experiences, but you're also going to miss out, miss out on all the beautiful emotions of having children and having a wife and having a family and all right. this but stuff. But they want, so, I think, you know, they, there's a real fine line there where they want you to be strong too, empathetic and understanding. Yeah. But there's a part yeah. of them looking at you going, yeah, Man, I don't need you to break down yeah, and cry yeah. with me now. I need you to be. Well, that's who part of the I need art. You to be. That's yeah, part yeah. of the art of medicine mm -hmm. is to know like when it's okay and when they want you to cry with them, yeah. and when they need you to just be strong and step up to the plate and yep. save their life. And yeah. fortune. And that's that's the art. That's what separates a great emergency doctor from a novice emergency doctor. Yeah. Great, greatest ER story that revolves you. Can you share the the, <laughs> the best? Is there a one that sticks out that's just like I did? I mean, we know you're doing great stuff, Jay. Yeah. Anything yeah. that really stands out among others. Um, I've had, I've had a lot of amazing experiences through the years, but just like one of the most memorable ones that I have, um, is when, and I, I told you this one, man, I, I told you this one actually, when we were, that's why I'm asking. Some, yeah. We're having some whiskey. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, basically Wait, doctors drink never I didn't know that ever ER doctors, we always limit ourselves to anyways, <laughs> um, where I'm in the ER and I heard nurse to triage, which is never a good thing. That yeah. means something bad is happening. That is not in the emergency department. It's in front of the emergency department. And so this old nurse that's like gone, gone into retirement has come out of retirement somehow is the guy that like runs out there. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this granddaughter pulls up with her grandfather in the passenger seat and he's, he's buckled in, but he is so weak when the nurse opens up the door he starts to fall out. And the only thing that stops him from falling is the seatbelt. And the, the nurse kind of, you know, calls for help and somebody just comes out and they get that guy and they put him in a wheelchair and they start wheeling him through. And after 11 years of training, 
to become an emergency doctor. My most important job in that moment is that man is rolling through our emergency department so weak that he can't even hold his head up. His head is like falling off to the side of the wheelchair out of full, like, you know, two feet or something like that. And uh, my most important job is just to hold his head up so it doesn't hit the corner of a wall and we break his cervical spine or something nasty like that. Yeah. And so we get him into the room and his oxygen levels are low and his blood pressure is low and his heart rate is high and he's dying right in front of us. He's the closest to death that I really get to see people or do see people. And, um, and you know, what he ended up having basically is something called a tension pneumothorax, which is when there is pressure building up outside of the lung that is not only collapsing the lung more and more with every futile breath that the person takes, but it also compresses the veins, the blood vessels that lead back to the heart. So you can no longer get blood flow to your heart. You don't get blood flow to your heart. The heart can't squeeze blood to the rest of your body. Super deadly condition. And the only only thing that can fix it is releasing the pressure. And so there's pressure outside of the lung. And the only thing that's keeping it from um, essentially getting relieved is a scalpel in your finger. And so I took a scalpel and I cut into that man's side of his chest and I didn't even have time to call for the proper tools to do it. Usually you'd like use these things called Kelly's to like push through the muscle wall and to, cause you don't want to like stab into somebody's chest oh, yeah. all the way. You're going to so like hit their power. lung. You're going to hit no yeah. power. Tools. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, you, you <laughs> cut down, but you don't go through that last layer. And so to get through that last layer, I used my finger. Fortunately, I had time to throw in a club and I pushed my finger through that man's chest wall and I pulled my finger down and the air evacuated and you can just hear it go like popping of a balloon or something popping a balloon and you're releasing all of that pressure that was compressing the lungs that was compressing the blood vessels leading back to the heart all of a sudden he gets blood flow back to his heart all of a sudden that lung re-expands all of his vitals normalize and he goes what happened and I'm like you almost died dude does that air does that air smell does it have like an odor? I didn't really get my face up in yeah. it, so <laughs> I don't know. Just wondering if it's like you know, <laughs> it's body air, man, or something like that. <laughs> I'm know? sure. I'm sure it had a little tinge of something. Yeah. You try Hopefully to put on a mask, mask on. even pre-COVID. Yeah. You try to put on a mask yeah. before you're doing stuff right. like that. Yeah. But what 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 is it? What is it like for someone in your position to deliver news? You, you mentioned off air some people that you have to tell them they have AIDS or they have right. cancer, and inevitably that they're going to die. What is there a is there a, is there a simple way to I know there's not but is there a way that someone in your position does that to, to comfort them in a way is there a, any, way, any particular way you do that just to be present man the most important thing is to be present to mm-hmm. to like pull pull on on your your human side and and push away your your medical side because you know when you when you get like very clinical and you're just you're focusing on all these medical details like I, you know I could go into a room and tell people you know details about you know the the cellular mechanisms behind this uh, yeah. disease and you know the prognosis and all this stuff but really in that moment I personally want to be as as little of a doctor as I can be and as much of just a, a, a caring, um, empathic human being as I can and be in that room and answer any specific questions they have, but try not to load them up with too, informa- too much information at the same time. And those, those are the experiences where I, I really feel like I've done a good job at the art of being a doctor like we were talking yeah. about before. and maybe not the best time to introduce the sons of harmony background of your life right did but- i tell you i was in a boy band 
<laughs> Sorry, that was bad, wasn't it? Well, you know? yeah. that was, I just think of those ads where it's like, we're going to get through this together, right? Yeah. It's my second surgery. We're going to do this together. Yeah, you totally. Know, or whatever. Well, great job delivering the message that so many people have found and now enjoy. So you do such a, such a clever, uh, uh, wonderful, warm way. Excuse me for the stutter there, but you make it you make it personal when it's, a, it's just a general story if somebody mm-hmm. wants to know, but great job doing that. Thank you. Let's talk for a second about this lady named Rebecca. Yeah. You met her you met her young in age, but she is your wife yeah. and the mother of your three children. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about her for a sec. Man, my wife is just an amazing person. Honestly, like I I, I am so I I feel like I have been so fortunate in so many ways when you like look at my story and all the cool things that I've really been able to experience. I'm very aware of that, but man, like the the most fortunate experience that I had was running into Rebecca again. Um, 15 years, 20 years after maybe we first met. So we, we met in, um, first grade at Fort Worth country day on the playground. We chase each other around and, um, and you know, but, but we, obviously we're too young to like be a thing or anything like that. But she was, I always, she was on my radar, even though like I wasn't really like into girls. (laughs) Like your whole life. Yeah. 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 Kind of, you know, yeah. But then, but she ended up going to a different school long-term and I'd like see her, think about her every now and then. But, you know, she ended up pursuing her passions just like I did. Ballet. Ballet. She's an incredible ballet dancer. She danced with the School of American Ballet in New York. She danced um, with the Paris Opera Ballet, did this like really exclusive summer program in Vail. And it was her and like maybe like 10 or 12 other girls in the, from the whole country that got chosen mm-hmm. to do this program. And um, and she, she, you know, really, really gave it her all, just like I really gave it my all in entertainment. And we both kind of ended up making more like practical, you know, mm-hmm. decisions with our long-term careers. But we ended up reconnecting just randomly like at a bar. Thankfully, I saw her and I was like, Rebecca Shaw, you know, and she was like, huh? And I was like, I remember you from first grade. Did you know? she remember you? Yeah, she yeah. did remember me. Um, and I was like, you got real hot. <laughs> and uh, I kind of stalked her on Facebook and uh, ended up hanging out. And we fell in love through our mutual passions yeah. in the arts um, and through through music. We would go to all these cool shows. And that was the way that I was like reconnecting, you know, with with my passion and my love uh, for music was was like with her during med school, like one of the most like trying times of, of my life and mm-hmm. one of kind of the most like emotionless times too, where I'm like this just machine studying all day. At one point I was studying 15 hours a day, dude, 15 hours a day for a month and a half for this damn test that you take that kind of determines what kind of doctor you can be. Yeah. And throughout that, she was she was the thing that kept me sane and that kept me in touch with my passion and my emotion. And um, and man, she's just like, she is one of the most selfless humans that I think exists on the planet. And people are like, how how are you able to to do so many things at the same time? It's because of her and her support. Right? Yeah. And great. her love. Well, man. great job. So I'm everybody. thinking of a number and you, you tell me what this number is. I'm thinking like 10 to 12, and guess what that number is? Uh, 10 to 12 on the hot scale of like 10 out of 10? She's a 12 it's out of the, 10? No, it's the cups of <laughs> coffee or Red Bulls she must drink a day to, to keep, keep up, up with, with you. Me. <laughs> yeah. 
Did she has much as have? have it wouldn't be enough. Of, yeah, she is she as energetic or is no? It the same? She is not. She has she has a lot of uh, depth of of emotion and, yeah. and depth of passion. But no, she doesn't. She doesn't attack so many different things at the same yeah. time. Okay, okay. Uh, let's dig, dig a little deeper into your family tree. Yeah, yeah. Who the heck is Colonel CC Slaughter? This yeah, is, this is crazy, man. This is crazy. You hear stories about your ancestors growing up and stuff like that, and I totally did not appreciate what he was able to do. But, you know, as I as I got older, I was like, wait, who was that guy that owned millions of acres out west? Yeah. And there's this dude, Colonel C.C. Slaughter. No joke. C.C. stands for Christopher Columbus. Oh, no wow. kidding. So Colonel Christopher Columbus Slaughter. Any relation to Sergeant Slaughter, the professional No, wrestler, I wish. I, I told people that he was my uncle, though. And if you messed with me, he'd come and get you. Sergeant Slaughter from the WWF. Is that, that was what before it was? it was even WWE. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was like such a popular, like, you know, professional wrestler that he became a G.I. Joe character as well. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. CC yeah. Slaughter, though, that sounds like a good country song, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Maybe we should write a country song. Now I know that. that you play pedal steel. Oh, JW, my fame has exceeded the let's, show. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> so Colonel C.C. Slaughter, this guy, I mean, was an extremely driven individual, and I'll always, always, always be in his shadow no matter what I do in my life. But Mando and millions of acres out west yeah. um, was at one point, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad, bad thing, but he was the highest, um, he, he was the, the highest tax-paying individual in Texas. Maybe you need a better tax attorneys but that just goes to show you the level of wealth that he'd accumulated yeah. the level of success he founded baylor medical right wow so bumpsy in dallas baylor university medical Center, he founded the first hospital there um and was i mean he he had a quote of saying that that the lord gave me uh, a hand to take and a heart to give yeah and he was a huge philanthropist as well and so that's part of what drives me a little bit um, in in the nonprofit world as well, man. I'll never be able to kind of fill those shoes, but what an inspiration! So wow. I might disagree with that statement. You're uh, you're well on your way, sir. Uh, Another one worth mentioning: J. M. Zachary. I think uh, your your namesake, right? Your yeah, name I was named after this guy. Such an interesting human being. So a very successful oil businessman was the uh, business partner for uh, Mr. Penrose, which was just like, when you read like the legends of like oil and gas in Texas, yeah. he's one of those guys. Mm -hmm. And so um, my great grandfather um, was the the partner, literally would share a partner desk, this massive wood desk that I would study for med school on, right? right. Um, with Mr. Penrose. And he, um, I, I'm his namesake and and his name uh, was J.M. Zachary. And, and the interesting thing is this guy who gave me so much from, you know, braces when I needed them when I was 11 and 12 to my first car to making sure that I went all the way through private school is actually not my blood relative. Yeah. So my great grandfather, who I am named after, is this like patriarchal giving human being that adopted my grandmother um, and married my, my great grandmother. Um, and I owe so much to. So somewhere in between the inspiration of my great, great, great grandfather, Colonel C.C. Slaughter, yeah. and my great grandfather, the original J-Mac, I, I feel called to have to give back. I am, it's like mandatory that I try to give back to the people around me because I have been given more opportunities than I could ever provide 
um, for myself or my community. And so I, I have to do everything in my power to try to pay that forward. Well That's said. That's nice. Okay, with a few minutes Grant we have too. left, J-Mac, let's talk about some of the philanthropies you've yeah. been involved with. One particular, Music Meets Medicine, mm-hmm. MMM. Uh, it's 5013C. Mm. Tell, me, tell us about that. So Music Meets Medicine was actually inspired through my experience with uh, my mother's breast cancer treatments. Um, my mother had stage two breast cancer, went through chemo, double mastectomy, reconstruction. In total, she had something like total, like 20 surgeries over the course of a few years there um, and radiation. And her first chemo treatments were just like so dark and depressing. Were you um, in medical school at the time or where no, were you in your I, I had already decided to become a doctor though, mm-hmm. which was kind of interesting. But yeah. It was my first experience kind of through a patient's eyes and through a family member's eyes. Yeah. And there was this one treatment in particular that was was so toxic, it turned your fingernails and your toenails black. Mm-hmm. And so to try to counteract that, you'd put your fingernails and toenails in ice and it would vasoconstrict. It constricts your blood vessels to where the toxins that you're putting in your body to kill yourself, but also kill the cancer, can't necessarily get delivered. So, um, so you think about putting ice on your head as a kid. You lasted what? Like seconds seconds and you're like "Ah!" my mom has my willpower so she'd put her fingers and toes in ice for an an hour straight and as a 20 something year old self-centered kid i'm looking at my mom Mm. going through this terrible experience and i'm i'm you know for the first time in my life trying to take the spotlight off myself and be like okay i i have to do something i have to help this this amazing human being in my life and my sisters and i brought our instruments to the yeah. next chemo session. Yeah. And it just like turned into the most like happy, oh, seriously? joyous, That's like sweet, powerful man. experience yeah. of my life up until that point. And after that, we brought our instruments every single time and people in wheelchairs would roll by and be like, will you come see us next? And we're oh. like, sure. And yeah. so we kind of turned into like music therapists before music therapy existed. Music therapy wasn't really a yeah. thing. The hospitals were still so like cold and emotionless. And we we don't we didn't have like kind of the emotional intelligence and the leadership that we are starting to really have now. And so we were one of the first nonprofits that focused on bringing music into the hospitals. I was inspired by those experiences to try to do that. And um, and so what we do is we donate instruments and free teaching lessons to kids at children's hospitals. And so was that where it started at Cooks? Like kind of it all that? yeah it all started through my experiences with my mom's chemo and then spread to different hospitals in the area. We We've supported uh, music therapy at Cooks. We've had lots of volunteer. We even actually at Dallas Children's Hospital, we donated a jam room. We raised $150,000 to create this badass space yeah. to where patients can leave their treatment areas, be in a treatment-free zone, and just lose themselves yep. in an instrument, whether that's their thing or whether they've never done it before. We always we try to have what's called embarrassment-free exploration options yeah. to where they can put on a little headset and mess around an electronic drum set. Nobody can hear but them really what's going on yeah so jam great. out on a guitar and only they can experience J-Dub and i it. do that with our two-man uh mm-hmm. silent raves, Have silent you heard of this? raves yep. like where we yep. just do our headphones and just dance <laughs> indeed that's that's <laughs> that fantastic fantastic thing and the, the second one that i'm most familiar with and yeah. big fan of the slaughter family arts awards yeah. which just concluded here recently right? yes absolutely uh, this is a deal that i really love please yeah. explain so basically the slaughter family arts you know since my wife and i 
um, kind of join forces in life. You know, we just talked about how much we needed to give back to the arts community and how many opportunities that we were given, right? And so we talked about giving out scholarships because she danced on scholarship for years and years. And that was a huge part of her ability to succeed in life. And we always wanted to give out awards as well. And so we were like, well, let's just like give out some awards and some little scholarships um, to some kids at one school. And then like, you know, you know, I go to meet with this person. Her name is Melody Hallback, and she is she's the person who ran the theater uh, uh, department at Fort Worth Country Day for like 20 years. She happened to be retiring, retiring, right? Yeah. Right at the time that we're getting really jazzed about this this idea, and really, you know, we went to Country Day and saw an incredible show there. We just saw the level of talent and dedication and heart that these kids have, and we were like, why wait? another 10 years, like, let's do this now. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And so I met with Melody Hallback and my wife. And instead of doing one school, we were like, let's do five schools, you know, let's yeah. do six schools. Yeah. And so at this point we've given away over $30,000 in scholarships, somewhere so over like 40 different awards. We just had a big award ceremony at I am Terrell here in Fort Worth with which has a gorgeous state of the art, like $50 million amphitheater. Who knew? Um, and, uh, and it's obviously something that's very near and dear to our heart. It's only our third year and we're just going to keep going up from there. Sweet. And people can support you if they want to go. Yeah, to please do. Please yeah. do. Please join. Go to slaughter, or sorry, sfaawards.org or go to musicmeetsmedicine.org and, uh, and donate and support these, uh, these organizations. And we're going to put your dollars, um, to, to beautiful use to support our community. J-Mac, you exude confidence, exude it in, <laughs> in a healthy, awesome way. Mm. Uh, does anything make you nervous? Does anything get to you? Um, this is going to be a, an intense one, but like when babies are dying, that scares the pants off of me, you know? Fair, fair. Like I deal with like old people dying all the time. Every now and then it's like a 20 something year old and I'm like, you know, and it kind of tightens its finger there. But it, there is, <laughs> there's nothing more intense as an, an adult ER doctor. Granted, we train in pediatrics as well, but our day-to-day -day is, yeah. is in adults. But when somebody's dying, somebody's dying, and they go to the first hospital. And so you can take care of some very, very, very sick children. And that's that old that, that makes me a little nervous. <laughs> you know, on that note, I must say, your name has such a dark connotation of slaughter, right? Like, and you are the antithesis of your name, man. Like, <laughs> I don't see the, anything creepy and dark about you, Dr. Slaughter. I don't yeah, know what Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're the brightest light out of that name, so mm -hmm. it's a really cool kind of deal. This guy is an example of what, what is possible with positivity and, mm. and following your, your dreams and your passion. Mm. I made this, not to sound corny, but you really, you followed the path that you set out for yourself mm. and you made it all happen, so kudos to you, man. Thank you, brother. Thank Before you. Before we go, he's got a last question for you. Okay. This, this one ought to be the best answer we ever uh, heard. I'm yeah, guessing, yeah. please. So we, no family, right? Like, I mean, we just, and it's not because we don't love our families and stuff. We just try to make this purposely hard. Best day of your life, like all family stuff aside, like okay. direct and, you know, that kids kind of and all that. No kids. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yes, while the best day of my life would absolutely include my entire family, mm -hmm. um, man, some of the best times of my life were when I was in Costa Rica, we talked about surfing a little bit when our sound was out, but I was in Costa Rica for a month and a half. I'd wake up in the morning. I would surf first thing in the morning, watch the sunrise, get some sun, do something physical, exciting, and like zen and relaxing all yeah. at the same time. I would go and exercise my brain by relearning Spanish 
because mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to be able to communicate with my patients in their primary language. And especially here in Texas, so many patients can only speak Spanish. Um, and so I'd go for four hours and my buddy who was also a doctor and wanted the same thing to be able to communicate with his patient, we would talk only in Spanish to these like medical Spanish teachers there, leave there, go back to surfing, yeah, have a sunset session. And then after that, write music and record music for the rest of the day. Oh my and we God. do that for about a month and a terrible, half. doesn't it? No. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your life with us. I want to thank our good friend, your good friend, Kevin Donahue, who introduced us. Who's the man? Hell of a guy. He's sitting in our audience now. Love thank you, Kevin. Kevin. Love you too, Kev. Thank you, Captex Bank, for making all this happen. Yeah. J. Max Slaughter. Thank Dr. You, J. J. Max Slaughter. Hey. Awesome. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Fortitude for us.